Welcome back. Welcome in. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us this week. We are dancing up a storm here in the podcast world. We are talking Footloose. We will get with you right after the song. What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining us here. Week two of the Threequel podcast. Uh, I am still here with my lovely co-host, albeit virtually, uh, Mike Duranic and Brad Miller. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah, doing uh, doing great, Ethan. Happy to to be back again this week and uh, and going yeah, back a little bit further in time than we did uh, on the previous February one. February of 1984 uh, for the release of the original. Brad specifically said it had to be the original Footloose. There, bacon. There isn't a there isn't a second one. There's only one Footloose. Well, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about that. Um. But yes, Footloose is the movie that we did this week. I do want to pull back the curtain a little bit. We're zooming each other while also recording, and I felt like you guys were laughing while I was doing the intro. Did I miss something, or is there going to be some embarrassing moment that comes across when I'm editing this? Mine, uh, my reaction was just a gleeful joy watching you do your thing, and um, it took me back about two years to when we were doing this every Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Same, no, uh, no uh, embarrassing thing that I could see. Just uh, enjoying well, watching you, you guys. Uh, I'm glad I hope and get, that the get people ready listening to go. have that same joy, gleeful uh, joy, gleeful joy. Yes. Yes. Um, so last week we talked old school, a movie that we all agreed was uh, still entertaining whilst being pretty dated, um, and I think the best example the best thing i can say uh in terms of this film is that and i told mike this before we started recording to me i feel like this movie is maybe more dated than old school but much more acceptable for today's audience uh that that would be where i'm sitting as we come into this conversation uh i don't know if you guys had any quick little things with that but that that's my feeling finishing watching uh footloose when when you say acceptable for today's audience, what uh, what angle you go in there? Uh, that they don't say anything that we can't repeat on this show and get canceled. Yeah, there there were no uh, homophobic homophobic slurs, but uh, there was some right pretty there, there intense were, yeah. domestic violence there. You know, I think as Ethan and I were, were talking again prior to, to the start of the show, for me, it came down to in, in this movie, there were probably two scenes that don't play today. And it's easier to cut two scenes out than the entire through line of the so movie like you let's, had with uh, Let's dive in, guys. If you're ready, I'm ready. Uh, let's kick it off like we did last week. Uh, whoever wants to go first can. How did you find old school for the first time? What was your first experience, or not old school, I'm sorry, Footloose. What was your first experience with the original Footloose? Well, um, 
I guess being the elder statesman of the group, um, I am here to verify that February 1984 did exist. I know that you guys cannot verify that. Um, I uh, was a little too young in February of 84. I was three years old. Um, so I don't really remember when I first saw it, but I'm pretty sure it was at my parents' house. Um, you know, probably came across it on, uh, you know, like an HBO or something like that. Um, and then, uh, they also did own the VHS tape that, uh, I watched several times. I, I actually came to it first because I own the cassette tape, um, on the soundtrack and got familiar with that before watching the movie. So, um, yeah, I was probably six or seven when I, uh, when I first saw Footloose. Yeah, and I was—I uh, I would have been a couple of years short of birth when this came out, as Brad uh, pointed out. Um, the first time I believe that I ever saw this all the way through was while preparing for this podcast. I'd certainly seen scenes. I was familiar with the movie, certainly familiar with the the premise, and very familiar uh, with the music surrounding it. But this was the the first time, to, to my recollection, that I ever sat down to watch Footloose and and watched it all the way through. So uh, it was a new experience for me in that yeah, sense. Yeah, I. Wow. Uh... Like Brad, I don't know the exact first time that I saw this. It was not in February of 84. Um, wasn't even in February of 94. I wasn't alive for that either. Uh, it was at some point in my childhood on TV somewhere. I know I have memories of it. Uh, honestly, I can say that I did sit and watch in one sitting the remake of Footloose before I in one sitting watched this original because I think – this past week was the first time I actually all in one sitting watched the original Footloose. So uh, a bit different uh, first viewing experiences than we had with the film last week. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the Darius Rucker of Footloose, right? When you say the, uh, the, the remake there, the, you know, the, the cheap copycat. So, okay, let's get into it. Well, let's have a conversation. That's the point of the podcast here. The original Footloose is not a dancing movie. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a dancing movie. No, it is a movie about a town that has outlawed dancing, but it is not a dancing film. And so, with the premise being that dancing is outlawed and these kids want to express themselves. In that way, when I say I enjoy the remake, that is why. Because if you've seen the remake, it is a full-fledged dancing film. I mean, acting-wise, not good at all. But it is all professional dancers that have choreographed it. And they're actually doing dance moves throughout the whole film. Uh, so it, it definitely, I think it gets categorized as a dance movie. But the original Footloose is not a dance film. I, I will stand on that hill. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I wouldn't call it a dance film, but uh, you know, it to me, Footloose really comes down to four or five, maybe six um, main moments or scenes, and you know, they're hi highlighted by some dancing in, in a couple of those. So um, yeah, definitely uh, some entertaining dance scenes, but not a dance movie. Uh, let's dive in to the people that. 
made this movie famous, or I guess this movie made some people famous. Uh, Kevin Bacon is obviously the name at the top of the list. And I think the thing that I took away from this movie is, I mean, Kevin Bacon, everybody knows Kevin Bacon. We, we all know Kevin Bacon. Uh, and I think in my mind, he's more of a star than he really is. I think even your, even your dog has seen Kevin Bacon. If you guys can hear, I'm going to try to edit some of this out, but no, no, I do no, have, leave the dog. It's cool. Doesn't like it when I don't give her attention, but that, See, that's me. Let's test this throughout the podcast. Maybe every time you say Kevin Bacon, your dog's going to like, oh, you know, like Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, oh that's done. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always thought maybe it was, was just bacon. <laughs> That's what it was. It was bacon. <laughs> I, I always thought he was more famous than he actually really is when you run through his entire list of films. Don't don't be don't be going down that road. Don't degrade okay. the six degrees of Kevin Bacon and his his famous career here. Well, I think that that's probably the point, though, right, is Kevin Bacon, maybe not as famous as, quite frankly, the game that Kevin Bacon's filmography spawned. Um, you can connect him in so many ways through so many movies. Uh, and, and certainly he's a solid uh, actor, but um, probably I, I, I would tend to agree if, if this is what you were saying, Ethan, that his reputation probably slightly bigger than yeah, his yeah, actual Because I mean, um, when you watch this, work. He has it all. He's a star in this movie. He controls this movie from beginning to end. It is his movie. I mean, if you look at the people around him, we can talk about some of the other actors and actresses in this, but nobody else really went on to have the reputation that he has, the level of fame that he has. Sarah Jessica Parker went on, you know, she had sex in the city. She has that. So to a certain demographic, she is very, very well known. John Lithgow was already well known before this movie got made. So he his reputation went sky high, but he never really got that like huge moment that you would expect he would have gotten being in one of the most well-known films from the 80s. I think uh, a lot of it for him is, you know, longevity. He's still going pretty... Uh pretty hard 40 years later, you know, almost 40 years later. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think just, he's one of those people that appeal to, he's going to appeal to my mom, you know, like someone who's in her late sixties knows who Kevin Bacon is and probably, you know, someone in there, you know, 15 to 20 years old knows who Kevin Bacon is. So I think it's just his, his mass appeal. Yeah. I thought it was just when I was going through his list of films, my favorite Kevin Bacon, my favorite film that Kevin Bacon appears in is Crazy Stupid Love. And it, and it's not even close for me. And he's only on screen for six minutes in that movie. Not not 10 at least. And so it's just, it was just weird to me going through his filmography. I was like, oh, he has not starred in as much as I thought he should have. Fair enough. Well, I think uh, particularly, you know, if you look at uh, the the way that he got cast for this film, and I don't know if you guys went down as many rabbit holes in that as I did, but um, you know, there were some they they were wanting some pretty big names who, by comparison, have had bigger uh, careers in terms of being the leading men. 
Um, but uh, ended up with Kevin Bacon, who I, I don't think as I read through that, any of the other people that they were looking at, and, and I read Tom Cruise, uh, Rob Lowe, they really wanted Travolta. I don't think any of them would have played anywhere near as well I in this movie as Kevin that. Bacon probably um, did. I mean, John Travolta had Grease. Is Grease older than this? It's got to be, right? I believe so, yeah. But... Like, I mean, if you think high schooler in a music-ish dancing setting, like Danny Zuko doesn't work in this movie at all. Tom Cruise would maybe be the closest. But even, I, I mean, and I love Tom Cruise in movies. But yeah, you're right, even that. So, I mean, they got it right there. And I don't know if you saw that. He, it came down, he could either be in this or the Stephen King adaptation of Christine. And I mean, I'm glad Kevin Bacon went this way because I mean, Brad, you said to not dog on him. I love Kevin Bacon. When he pops up in something, I do enjoy it. And how different things would have been if he did Christine and they got Tom Cruise for this. I mean, who knows? I don't like how that would have played out. Maybe maybe Kevin Bacon would have been rocking, uh, you know, the NASCAR in Days of Thunder there or something. But or playing Maverick and Top Gun had things gone a little bit different. Yeah, that I don't want. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked out well for, for all of them involved. And again, you know, just a final thought on this, you know, Travolta, they wanted Travolta. He would have been 30 when this movie was released. Greece did come out in, uh, six years earlier, 1978. And, you know, Bacon, as it was, was 24 when this came out. Uh, but, I, you know, a 30-year-old Travolta playing a high schooler, it would have been even harder to get there. Uh, I do think that for Kevin Bacon, uh, in some ways, this movie just kind of alluded to the fact that he would have had a much stronger career as a leading man uh, than he did. But I, I agree with you, Ethan. The roles he plays in so many movies, anytime he pops up, and it is often in smaller roles, I'm happy to see him. He does a he does a solid job. He's a well, really he definitely really, uh, pulled uh, off looking like a 17 year old even at 24. So, yep he he had that he, he, he had that going for him for sure. He fit the part very well. So we don't, as I kind of alluded to, not necessarily the three headed monster of star power, I guess, four headed, if you want to go with Todd Phillips from last week. So we don't need to go point for point through all the actors, but just for you guys, who else in this movie stood out and and left a lasting impression outside of Kevin Bacon for you? Well, I think that, uh, um, I've always liked the the Willard character, Chris Penn, you know, um, and it, it it took me a while to realize, you know, that he is Sean Penn's brother, and you know, like they he this is the one time where I think he kind of really got out of uh, Sean's shadow, and and um, you know, I think you know died too young. He's uh, I don't know how long ago he passed away, but uh, was not able to fully see a, a full fledged career, but. Uh, he stands out to me. Uh, John Lithgow, obviously, with a heck of a performance. Um, I uh, I saw somewhere that he actually is only 12 years older than uh, the girl that played his daughter in the film, which is really strange um, because I, he just look he just looks a lot older um, than her, and you know he looks old and she looks young, so those two combined were able to pull that off, but. Um, yeah, John Lithgow, and 
I can't remember her name. What is it? It's uh, like something Wheeler, right? Uh, that played his daughter. Um, uh, Lori Singer or anyways we can we we can get that right but she uh she had a heck of a performance um she she did really well but altogether i think it was well cast um i think the the parts were well done and um yeah i i don't know if it's a good movie or not but the actors uh come together to to pull it off pretty well yeah lori uh lori singer you were right on that uh you guys combined there but uh, i agree with you brad John Lithgow. And what I, what I found in watching this is that I really enjoy John Lithgow uh, in a wide variety of roles. I also, you know, it doesn't surprise me too much that he was only 12 years older, only in this sense. It felt like he was about as old in this as it did when he was, you know, in third rock from the sun, as it did when he was playing the role that he did uh, in Dexter for that season. Um, it almost felt like over the course of, you know, 25, 30 years there, he hadn't aged a whole lot. And so I think he's one of those guys who just, he, he looked older than he was at a young age, pl- parlayed that into some roles like this, found yeah, a niche some, and has just continued to, uh, to deliver. Always have just looked young or they've, they've held on to their younger looks uh, actors. I've never imagined John Lithgow as anything other than like 55 years old. From this all the way up until, like you said, in Dexter, I feel like he's always just looked how he is. And he is the other standout for me. I think the thing that I appreciated in this was that 80s movies kind of, they tend to have a very over-the-top antagonist, a mustache-twirling antagonist, if you will, just kind of like they're being a jerk just to be a jerk. And while I think he is over the top with what he is doing and the rules he's setting for this town, to me, it didn't come across as he's doing it just to be a jerk. And there's scenes where like when he goes to the drive-in, I think they're at, and Lori Singer's playing that music and he, he's not abrasive about it. He's truly shocked and he's, he's just baffled and just walks away. Mm-hmm. And even the scene, and I know this is one of the scenes that we'll probably bring up as not good, and it's not, but when he when he slaps her for talking back to him, he doesn't lean into it. Like, he, he's hurt that he did something so awful. And so I appreciated the performance that Lithgow gave in doing that instead of just being bad for being bad's sake. Yeah, I, I would second that. I think it, it was a, uh, a character who he was doing the wrong things for the right reasons. Um, he, he had his heart in the right place, even if, uh, even if the, the, uh, the things he was doing don't particularly play well uh, in terms of the overarching, you know, town and the things he was trying to do with and the city, his, uh, the town uh, council. His faith background, obviously, but I just got the sense that uh, that was actually probably really good acting for him because I can't imagine that he's a, uh, devout Christian or a, a big man of faith. He just seems more, um, oh, I don't know how to describe it. Like he would be more maybe uh, uh, scientific in his base is just kind of how he presents himself. So like he, he does it pretty well, but I can't help but think about that while I'm watching the movie. Like uh, most likely not a, a man of faith playing that part and he, he does it pretty well. 
and can we fact check something real quick while uh, while, yeah. while we're doing this? Uh, Ethan, question for you. John Lithgow is not from Edwardsburg, Michigan, right? I, I don't believe so. Okay. So, uh, and since this podcast hasn't quite hit it real big yet, and you can't claim to be the most famous person from Edwardsburg, I just watched, and uh, for the fans here, the, the Royal Rumble is <laughs> playing in the background. I just watched the most famous person from edwardsburg michigan ruby riot get eliminated from the royal rumble so uh oh well is there is, is she the most famous person from edwardsburg or is there someone i'm leaving out that uh that you can enlighten us on i uh i don't think that i could come up with someone different now i will hashtag not a sponsor hashtag used to be a sponsor uh <laughs> our old friend at west on warren I was there last night. You know, you never know in COVID time. I, I've become accustomed to just calling and asking if places do reservations because you never know what you're going to walk into. And I happened to get on the phone. One of the uh, lovely ladies that we used to do business with there. And she remembered who I was. And I didn't ask for any special treatment. I just said, you know, table for two. We'll be there eight o'clock, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they, uh, they set us up very nicely. So classy folks there uh, at West on Warren. So that made me feel celebrity-ish. Um, and uh, it, and it, hey, West on Warren, we're always uh, we're always looking. Let's bring back the old team here. You can be part of this podcast yeah. too. You want to drop some money in the bank account? We'll say whatever you want. <laughs> All right, let's let's keep it moving. Let's just you know let's let's get into it. This is this movie is known for the music, right? That, that, that is why this movie I think has lived on so long and it has had such a lasting effect. So Brad, I'll, I'll turn it over to you here, man. You are a music guy. Um, and in any other conversation we have, any feelings I have about this movie, I think we can all agree that what did last through the years is still the music because every single song I think is safe to say that played, I knew, I knew the song. I had fond memories of the song, and I enjoyed hearing it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of torn when it comes to this uh, soundtrack because it does not have the star quality that the old school soundtrack had. Um, however, I don't know that they could have picked a better grouping of songs to play in a movie. Like it was almost like. I, I know they, you know, they cast actors, but I would call it like perfect casting of the songs and the artists too, because like none of these songs, in my opinion, are great standalone songs. Like I'm not gonna, um, I'm probably not gonna just choose to to drive down the road in the vehicle listening to Footloose, you know, or let's hear it for the boy. Like if I I pull up to a stoplight and let's hear it for the boy is playing on in the car i'm probably going to turn it down because it's not uh it's not something i want to you know i'd be real proud of uh representing but i tell you when this movie's on and you hear these songs you can't help but dance you can't help but move your feet a little bit you can't help but but sing along and enjoy them they they did really well um with these songs uh, kenny loggins kind of highlights it there with uh a couple of his songs he does footloose and he does uh 
uh, I'm free. Um, heaven helps the man. But uh, you know we've got we've got a showing by uh, by Sammy Hagar. Um, you know, like there's uh, D- Denise Williams, there's Bonnie Tyler. So you know we've got some some good '80s representation there. But as standalone songs, I- I'm just not sure that they that they really hold up. But you put the soundtrack up there, and it'd be hard you'd be hard pressed to find a, a group of songs that fit a movie better than these songs fit Footloose. Well, I think my favorite point of your breakdown there, Brad, was your acknowledgement that if you pulled up to the stop, uh, to the stoplight, you would have to turn down the <laughs> let's hear it for the boy because you would have been jamming it so loud. You right. just, you wanted, you wouldn't want to be embarrassed uh, at the stoplight. Um, but I agree. Uh, I think that this, this particular soundtrack compared to the old school soundtrack, this one felt to me like a uh, one that was, the, the sum of the parts was, uh, you know, everything was much greater than them individually. Whereas maybe with old school, it wasn't so much a soundtrack as it was a bunch of heavy hitters yeah, exactly. just and, put uh, together. The, the one uh, scene for that, that really movie. stands out is I want to buy that boom box that she had that you could put a tiny little box on the top of a truck and everybody in the in a restaurant and, you know, within a radius of the restaurant can hear this song and, and dance to it. So shout out to that company, whoever built that boombox, because uh, it represented well in the movie. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, what Brad said, the, the biggest point that I, I agree with you, Brad, is that these songs do feel so perfect for what's happening in each scene when they're being played. And, and not that old school didn't hit the mark but again like mike said they're picking and choosing great classic songs to throw into a movie versus so many of these songs were written for this movie to be a part of this movie for a specific purpose in the film and they flow and they fit so well um even you know i didn't know that i need a hero was the perfect song for playing uh tractor chicken but you know, it, it just hits. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done that. I personally have it, and I don't think I would. Uh, but I think I would win. That's the key. Well, and, uh, you know, not to nitpick, but it is holding out for a hero. But also, we, we all do need a hero, um, whether we, we just come right out and say it or we are waiting or, or holding out for one. So, But, you know, we, we, we do got to represent Miss Bonnie Tyler here and, and get the title correct for her because uh you know she she's probably listening and and we don't want to uh we don't want to upset miss tyler we can always assume that the famous people we are talking about care about our opinion and are listening <laughs> i mean shout out to uh Pramonti brothers right when back at the old show of of course i'm right they they listened and they they hooked us up because they uh they realized we weren't happy and, and they wanted to make it right. So, you know, maybe Bonnie Tyler will uh, will include us in her next uh, song as she reaches out and, uh, and and wants to do some performing for us. Maybe she could do uh, do our theme song when we if we ever decide to redo it. Is she still making music? Eh, that... Who knows? I mean, you put a microphone in front of her. She, I'm sure she can make some good sounds yeah. come out. I, I hope she's not. 100%. I hope she's not deceased because I'd feel really bad. Um, yeah, I'm looking that up right now. Just to <laughs> fact check. Shout out Bonnie Tyler. Uh, I wonder if she still has the. She's alive. The, the, We're good. She's alive. 
Does she still have Bonnie Tyler appears to be uh, alive and well, and uh, it looks like she's wearing it down these days. All right. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think she 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 has adjusted. Let's reach out to her too, just uh, like West on one. As we all have to. Hop on this team, Bonnie. Let's let's go. She actually released her seventeenth studio album two years ago. Wow. She is still she's still going strong. That's awesome. Bonnie, if you want to write us a song, you know, we'll we'll have a discussion. We'll have our people call your people. We'll see what happens. But you know, you're in the running. Which one of us would win the the chicken uh on the tractor game here if if, if we're uh, if we're gonna play this? You guys have kids. Uh, was that you calling your is that you calling your shot? You saying you're gonna win this? Yeah, 100 percent You know I he is, and I think he actually he has a strong argument. I was about to come from the standpoint that we've all been in uh competitions with each other and we know we're all competitive. And so the first thought that went to my mind is it would be a three-way uh tractor wreck because all three <laughs> of us would stubbornly just run into each other, refusing to be the one to bail. But honestly, I think Ethan's right. I think at the last second, Brad, you and I both simultaneously bail because we'd be like, well, well this is probably not the way we I, want our kids I guess to I'll remember us going out. I, Mike, if, I, if you were about to bail and I noticed you were going to, I'd have to say that I'm going to win because there's some kind of stubbornness that says, I can't let Ethan beat me at this. Like, I just can't do it. I can't let my, my, my son, air quote son here, beat me at uh at at chicken uh on a tractor i'd have to show him how it's done because you know us us uh, small town country boys we got to represent and uh um yeah i i think i'd go hard in the paint if you jump first mike i can say without a doubt if i had made the decision to jump a shoelace is not gonna stop me <laughs> there is no way that that's going to be ah well I'm all right I'm staying the shoelaces got me that's can't you can't well, leave I guess you can't leave I, the uh, shoes behind how are you going to dance without the be, shoes uh, would be smoking that weed like he was before uh, this this tractor thing too I didn't remember that from the last time I watched it him sitting there and puffing on that joint there that was a, a new twist that I couldn't remember and I thought it was I thought that was interesting because and this is a sign of the times and I get we can kind of transition into the world having a conversation about the world of 1984 instead of just having him be a bully instead of just having you know he could have been a drunk he could have been drinking before this happens which brad don't don't hate me for bringing up the remake again but in the remake i'm pretty sure he's just a drunk like he he's an older guy he's drinking before he gets in there and that's the stupid thing that he's doing he's doing this event while drunk, but in 84, the way that they wanted to convey to everyone, we should hate this person, is that he's smoking a joint. Versus in 2021, if he was doing that, I mean, I can probably walk out on my balcony right now off my apartment and I could probably see someone doing that in the world we live in today. So I thought, I thought that, was, that was definitely a sign of 1984. 
Yeah, probably peak era, right? War on drugs, peak era of the D.A.R.E. program and things like that going, um, you know, and then you, you fast forward to today. And, you know, again, opinions aside, the reality is that recreational marijuana use is legal in a good chunk of the country or has been decriminalized in a good chunk of the rest of the country. Uh, certainly not where um, we are. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. I think that the general public's opinion of that has probably changed substantially in the last uh, 27, uh, wait, 37, man, 37 years. There was my math. Well, the last yeah, 27 think, years, um, too. But this movie's 37 it, years it, old. It's interesting, too, because as you're seeing that, like they make Ren McCormick out to be like this bad guy, like that everyone at the high school is talking about and the town's like falling apart because he showed up and like. He has a job. He, you know, he wants to be on a, a sports team, whether, you know, that is like men's gymnastics or whatever uh, that was that they were doing there. I guess you call the, the high bar and stuff gymnastics, right? But like, yeah. and yep. he, he didn't want to mess with the girl until she left her boyfriend. Like all around, pretty decent guy. The only thing, he was just an outsider. So it, it's interesting how like, this town starts falling apart and you got guys that are, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, beating on women. Like, you know, it's just, it, it was just interesting how that dichotomy played out throughout the movie. Well, I think that that, that actually leads to one of the things that I took from this movie that I thought that it did quite well, uh, which is, I think that it did a great job of playing out how an isolated small town can kind of become an echo chamber uh, around a few key points. And at a certain point, people stop questioning those those key points and just start living it as if it's the truth uh, and, and the undeniable truth. And so as I was watching this, you know, thinking about how, as you pointed out, Ren's character, right, comes in and is generally respectful, responsible, and is being shunned as an outcast because he doesn't fit in with whatever the, the worldview of this town is at that moment. Um, and I thought that that was was quite well done. And then, you know, it also made me think uh, we don't maybe have that to that degree in this day and age because of, you know, um, the, the proliferation of the Internet and things like that. But we've we've created very much some of those small town echo chambers online and social media and some. Yeah, very I don't ways. think today if someone like him came into a small town, regardless of. How crazy the notions that that town believes in may or may not be i don't think there's any way in today's world he would be able to find some measure of success which is sad but i i don't see someone because today we are so set in our ways especially in small towns i don't see someone like him being able to come in and actually you know he, he makes a decent amount of it really the only person his age that doesn't like him in this movie is Lori Singer's boyfriend Chuck I mean he comes in and be Chuck because he is just a good guy he's able to do this even while rocking the boat of the town in their ways and I, I don't see that playing out real well today for someone yeah Chuck and his cronies definitely stand out um, of you know the group that uh that doesn't like him, but yeah, overall, I, I, I think you're right. I think in most cases, a small town is going to uh, rally around a guy like Chuck, regardless of how 
you know, mean he is or whatever, but they're going to kind of accept him because he's not the outsider um, and might have a little harder uh, road to hoe if, if you're uh, coming in to, to try to, you know, kind of be the big man on campus in a lot of ways uh, is what Ren ended up doing by, by doing all this stuff. So yeah, it uh, definitely the, the movie that does that part very well for sure. Can, would you guys agree with me that Ren's uncle is the second worst person in this movie behind Chuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, I, definitely. I wanted to hit him every time he was on screen. Yeah. He does a good job of making you not like him in the few scenes that he's, uh, that he's in. So good job by him, I guess. Which again, which is weird again. I mean, having the like what changes in time in the in the remake his uncle and him have a contentious relationship because he is rocking the boat but they build more of a father-son relationship and his uncle is the one that stands up to the council at the end saying no no he's a member of the society he's earned his place to speak versus here in the original i i was expecting that to happen because i just assumed that the remake just kind of took the big moments and I was waiting for that moment of his uncle finally accepting him. And he was, they specifically put the camera on him and he was like, shut up, just stop talking. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> just get your family. What are you doing? Like that, that made me so mad that he's such just a, just a not nice person. I won't, I, I had to, I had an earmuff moment last episode, so I won't use one this episode, <laughs> but. Hey, just say earmuff first kids cover your ears, but. But yeah, so that that was me. I just wanted to dunk on the uncle for a second there. Let's change the conversation here. Kind of uh, the last part of the episode will, will be like we had last week. Let, let's talk about, and we kind of already started the conversation, but 1984, uh, did, did you guys bring anything that you thought uh, was just uh, pretty pretty wild to think about turning the clock back 37 years to 1984? Yeah, I had a few. I had a few things, um, and uh, then I also think we got to make sure we do, uh, you know, our, our our favorite scenes, maybe our favorite line. But yeah, um, yep. um, yeah, 1984. Uh, one of the things for us that that affects us a lot here is that is the year that the uh, Baltimore Colts moved to Indianapolis. I uh, I would have guessed it was earlier than that, but uh, that is uh, the year that it happened. Um, it is, uh, also the year and, uh, you know, this is kind of Mike's area. I don't know if he wants to talk about this, but, um, Ronald Reagan, uh, carried every state except Washington, DC and Minnesota on his way to being reelected with a whopping total of 525 electoral votes to 13, uh, for uh, Walter Mondale. So that was uh, quite the landslide victory there for, for Mr. Reagan. Um, Mike, any thoughts on that before I move on to any other facts? Well, yeah, I, Ethan, but Ethan yeah, wants to jump in here. Go for it, Ethan. Did Walter Mondale claim that the election was rigged? 
Um, I, I don't don't recall oh, okay. that, but I will say uh, that could have possibly been not just because he lost 49 of the 50 states. And as Brad pointed out, uh, he did carry the District of Columbia. But uh, Reagan took 59 percent of the popular vote that year. And so when you think about how contentious our last number of elections have been, um, you know, and, and then you look back and say 37 years ago, the country coalesced around one person to the tune of 59 percent of people voted for him and they carried 49 uh, states electorally. Kind of crazy to think about, oh, right? For sure. That's a insane number. Um, kind of along the uh, the political side there, that is, uh, so in 1980, the U.S. Uh, boycotted the Moscow Summer Olympics. So in, in 1984, when this movie came out, uh, uh, the Soviet Union repaid the favor and they boycotted, um, or several European countries boycotted uh, the the Olympics there that were held in Los Angeles. So found that interesting. A couple of uh, pop culture references here. That is the year that uh, Clara Pell- Peller first asked, where's the beef in a, in a Wendy's television commercial? Um, it is also the year that McDonald's made their 50 billionth hamburger. Uh, I'll read that number again, 50 billionth hamburger. And that was 37 years ago. So uh, I'd hate to know where that number is now because that is that is insane. Um, there were some companies that started that year. Um, 1984 was, uh, the beginning for A&E Network, uh, Dell Computers, Kashi, LA Fitness, Papa John's Pizza, um, and, uh, Rita's Italian Ice all open for business that year. Um, in sports, we had the, uh, the Raiders who were the Super Bowl champs. The Detroit Tigers won the World Series and, uh, Edmonton Oilers, uh, won the Stanley Cup. Uh, music here we had uh, Prince's Purple Rain spent 24 weeks uh, number one on the billboard uh, and more than 32 weeks in the top 10 Um, and Ethan's favorite fun fact do you know what movie won the uh, Academy Award for Best Picture that year Ethan it it won it in 84 or it came out in 84 and then Uh, I believe won in 1984 oh is it a movie that I've ever spoken Probably to Probably not. It is uh, Terms of Endearment. Oh. Uh, won oh, okay. Best Picture uh, and also Best Director in 1984. The uh, five most popular television shows uh, that year. Dynasty Dallas. This one did not age well. The Cosby Show. Oh. 60 Minutes and Family Ties were the top five shows. Um, and... Yeah. Last but not least, we're not going to play this box office game, are we again? Because there's no. We, we won't play the we won't play the game. But uh, the top five highest grossing films for that year, one starred Eddie Murphy. Do you have a guess? From '84, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly, there was, you go. Yeah, you you, you got to. We'll go uh, fast pace with those. One was uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, one was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Gremlins. And then the last one, which uh, I think you'll get, is uh, having a, a resurgence in a second life on Netflix right now under the name Cobra Kai. 
but oh, okay. the Karate Kid number five uh, for five highest grossing films of 1984. Um, I did not see any uh, deaths that year that really stood out as uh, ones that we would talk about here. I don't know if any of you guys saw those, but that was the only other thing we mentioned last week um, that we didn't bring up here. Well, you, you missed the single biggest thing that happened in the year 1984. Uh, right? Well, enlighten me because I don't know what that is. Uh, Michael Jordan was drafted number three overall to the Chicago oh, wow. Bulls. So we had old school, his final game in 2003, uh, drafted in 84. So we've now bookended wow. his career. That's really what this whole podcast was about. Oh. Well, anytime I can get yeah. that. And, you know, now, here's another thing that I have to tell you. Last week, I failed to mention 2003, um, one of the most traumatic moments uh, in my sports fandom life with the Cubs blowing the 3-1 lead to the Marlins. But ironically, again, bookending in 84, they blew a 2-0 lead in a best of five to the Padres, who went on to lose to the Tigers in the World Perfect. Series. So there's a couple through lines. Um, Brad, I thought that this was interesting. You had mentioned Prince, number one. Uh, Tina Turner had the number two song that year. Uh, Paul McCartney. Oh, that's ill-advised. Number three. And then Kenny Loggins came in number four. But the Rolling Stone called 1984 the uh, pop's greatest wow. year. Um, so right, right in, in the music wheelhouse and oh, that's ill-advised from a record eight Grammys that year, but more impressively to me, this was the year that while filming the Pepsi commercial lit his hair on fire. I, I yeah. did see that, so, but I also want is was going to make the, uh, the conscious decision to not talk about Mr. Jackson on this podcast because, uh, he kind of sickens me. So uh, I, I did get a good chuckle out of the fact that his hair um, caught on fire, though. So, um, yeah, I mean, feel free to, to highlight anything you'd like by him. But I just uh, that man, uh, he's he's kind of like Voldemort to me. He kind of remains nameless. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, I think just an interesting an interesting year all of the way around um, and. Uh, but yeah, Pop's Greatest Year, that really, that kind of jumped out to me when I was thinking in terms of uh, of the music of this film in particular uh, and the era well, that I it represented. Bonnie Tyler gets all the credit for that, so. Yeah, 100%. She has to. We're still waiting for your uh, audition for our theme song, Bonnie. Um, let's put a nice bow on this, Brad. You mentioned these last couple things that we are going to do here. Let's start with a uh, favorite scene from Footloose. Whoever wants to go first, have at it. Mike, why don't you jump in and uh, take this one first this time? Well, with this being the first time, you know, that I had ever watched this front to back uh, and also acknowledging the fact that, as I, I had mentioned to Ethan earlier before we started recording, I think that there's a huge difference between 1980s cinematography and uh, and present day, obviously. But I think that it took a bigger jump from the mid 80s to the mid 90s in a lot of ways than it even has from the mid 90s to now. And so I found through this entire thing there were times I was laughing when I know that I wasn't supposed to be laughing, but the unintentional comedy was high. And that all coalesced for me around what I can only describe as Kevin ba uh, Bacon's warehouse workout dance. Um, I don't even know what was going on there, but it was so lovingly, wonderfully eighties. And I could not stop. I was laughing so hard. I was crying. Uh, I don't even know what was happening. Um, but I do know that I'll, I'll never 
probably watch the 2011 uh, Footloose unless Ethan decides to assign it to us for for this podcast. But there's no way that anything in that could have possibly, possibly topped uh, Kevin Bacon's uh, warehouse workout dance well, routine. In, in that you said never, but in honor of that scene and that song, I think you should say never, 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 never. Ne-. I mean, like that. Yeah, I, I. I I think I never, never, never want to see that scene again because it, it, it is iconic in a lot of ways, but also so cringeworthy. Um, yeah, I just like it's like, what am I watching here? Um, so for me, it, it kind of comes down to two. I think that, uh, well, really three. And so it's, it's hard for me to pick. Um, I'll just highlight the other two real quick because I don't know where Ethan's going with his. But I really like the whole series of scenes where Willard is learning how to dance. I find that very entertaining. Um, and, uh, I think before rewatching it again, I would have said that that's my favorite, uh, part of the movie, but, um, it, it does pale in comparison to, uh, the, the chicken on the tractor. Um, but ultimately really what it boils down to is it starts with that flying drop kick of Kevin Bacon where he jumps into the fight with Willard at the end and then runs back in and says, let's dance. And they just go nuts. Um, and, uh, probably the only better movie ending dancing sequence that I can think of was with 30 dancing, um, uh, there with Patrick Swayze. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that, that gets my vote. The, uh, the first, uh, the two on five fight that they win. And then the, the dance party at the end uh, is, is my favorite scene. Yeah. My, mine specifically was the fight. Um, just, I think it was, it was a combination of for a eighties movie about high schoolers. Like it was a good fight scene, but then with what Mike was saying about how cringeworthy the warehouse dances. And I agree it was, but the notion that, because Kevin Bacon is good at dancing is what led him to being able to win this fight because he can kick really well. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was laughing, but it was doing exactly what I think it was supposed to be doing for me. So the fight was absolutely my favorite scene. And uh, I'll, I'll just go first here for favorite line. Then my favorite line, we kind of alluded to this and we've talked about really uh, Kevin Bacon's character is almost infallible in this movie. He really is just a good guy. And my favorite line of the movie, because it is him being a good guy, but also still being kind of funny, uh, is Ariel asks him, do you want to kiss me? He says, someday. And she says, what is this someday? And he says, well, it's just I get the feeling you've been kissed a lot and I'm afraid I'd suffer by comparison. So it's him being a good guy, but also still because he won't just go and kiss this girl, but he's still kind of with a wink and a smile at the camera like, I'm also going to take a shot at her. And I, I thought it was delivered perfectly. And that was absolutely my favorite line of the movie. Well, and then I find it weird that he decided to have that first kiss when her mouth is bloody. Like, you know, well, like that is really, really odd that he waited until she gets beat up and then. Yeah. Open mouth kisses her with, with bloody lips. Like that's uh yeah. A little, little gross there, Mr. Bacon, but uh, Hey, to each their own. Right. Um, so my favorite line in the film, uh, was when Willard met Wren in the hallway, they bump into each other and 
Willard says something like, Hey, watch where you're going, you know, kind of turns around real angrily and, and Ren turns to him and says, did they sell men's clothing where you got that hat? And it, it could have gone two ways. You know, Willard could have uh, gotten angry and fought him, but instead he, you know, he chuckles, but I never noticed before when I actually stopped to look at Willard's hat, I think I would have asked the same question. That was probably the most effeminate, 80s cowboy hat that Willard could have been wearing at the time. So good job by noticing that uh, by Ren and then delivering that that line. I want to give a shout out to one other line that uh, I, I just I, I got a chuckle out of because I don't know how you deliver it with a serious face. But she shows up at his work uh, and says, you know, basically Chuck's Chuck's mad at you and you need to uh to meet him at his farm like it's like why is why is she doing that but it's just this cocky like uh the way she delivered it was was pretty priceless and i just think that i would have just been busting up laughing had i been basically challenged to a chicken fight at, at chuck's farm um uh if i if i was doing that so that that line also kind of stood out to me but that was just more more laughable than the line I enjoyed there by by Ren to Willard when when they first met. Yeah, and I think I, I liked both of those and had both of them down. So the other one that stepped out to me just because it made me uh, it made me chuckle a little bit was uh, the line September when you go to college you can dress like David <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> That's great. All right, one last thing. Uh, let's play a quick game here. A trivia for you guys last week, Brad. Got it. Let's see about this. Brad, you may know this one. This could be in your real house. So if, if you found out about this because doing your research, uh, I trust that you'll be honest. Footloose, whatever we may feel about it, was nominated for two Academy Awards. Can you guys name uh, what two they were? Two Academy Awards. I would imagine one of them was for song. Yes. Can you name the song? I'll defer to I'll defer to my counterpart well, there on that one because he's got a better handle I knew names that, of the songs. Uh, that this was a thing, but I actually don't know which song it was. I would guess that it was Footloose by Kenny Loggins. That was one of the two awards it was nominated for. Um Best choreography? I, I I don't know. I don't believe that is a category. <laughs> uh, the other award was also, it was nominated twice for Best Original Song for Footloose and for Let's Hear It For The Boy. So oh, wow. uh, they double dipped on Original Song, which is pretty rare. Uh, that I mean, I don't, that, that'll probably never happen again with how often movies are creating their own music and for the Academy to double up, that would be pretty shocking. So that was the trivia I had. Uh, I guess I, I did say that would be the last thing. Of course we want to leave uh, with this. Uh, does this movie get our stamp of approval? Someone comes to you and says, Hey, I've never seen the original Footloose. Uh, what do you think? I've heard it's a classic. Are you sending someone to watch this or are we saying, you know what? It's better to leave it in 1984. So I'll start with this one. Um, I would say, yes, it gets my stamp of approval for a couple of reasons. But re what really stood out to me is that when both of you said 
that you hadn't seen it until watching it for this podcast, um, I was surprised because it is a huge piece of pop culture for me. And, and, you know, as we highlighted last week, I am 40 years old. So, you know, was, was young when this came out. And to me, it's just always a thing. Like I have the cassette tape. I, my, my son was listening to it the other day, um, in, in our silver boom box. And I've seen it several times and, you know, it was one that, uh, I was happy to choose to, to watch for this. Is it a great movie? Uh, I don't know that I could say great movie, but I think it is one that I would say everybody has to watch, um, just to kind of understand where things were at that time and, and, you know, how important music and dance can be to, to a community. Um, but yeah, I would, I would recommend people check it out. I think my first question would be how familiar uh, the individual was with uh, Mystery Science uh, Theater <laughs> 3000 and enjoying movies for maybe not the reason they were intended to be enjoyed. Um, that said, I will say this. Uh, with this being the first time that I watched this through front to back, I, I have a, obviously a unique perspective maybe on this question because I just experienced it really for the first time. And I'll, I'll say for seeing Kevin Bacon probably at his peak in terms of his his ability to carry a movie uh, for the the Lithgow performance for a number of these different scenes it carried a good uh, a good storyline through that I was able to to follow uh, I did enjoy the unintentional comedy that uh, certainly back in eighty four probably wasn't comedy but is now in twenty twenty one and so. I would say that uh, I can give it as strong of an endorsement just in different ways as I would have old school. Uh, and I will give it the three out of three stamp of approval uh, simply because of Kevin Bacon. That, that's what it comes back to. It is such a pop culture relevant movie. And, and like Mike said, seeing Kevin Bacon at his peak. Uh, and I don't think I would warn the, whoever I'm telling about the unintentional comedy. Uh, that I agree with Mike that this has. I think I want someone to go into that blind and just enjoy it uh, the way that we both did. Because I don't know if we expected to laugh as hard as we did, especially if you don't know that dance scene in the warehouse is coming. Uh, I, I want someone to be unprepared for that. So that was our discussion on Footloose. It does get the stamp of approval, maybe for different reasons, but we're still going to send people out to see it if they haven't. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Again, hit us up on social media. Engage in this conversation. Is it a movie that is just a staple for you? You have loved this movie your entire life. You still continue to watch it. You haven't seen it. And you finally watched it for the first time. What do you think about it? Whatever it is, we want to engage in that conversation. All the social medias, uh, the threequel there. Again, Brad is doing great stuff with that. Next week, an incredibly different conversation. Uh, than we've had each of the first two episodes. Next week, we're going to do the classic Valentine's Day film. Came out Valentine's Day 1991. What a great romantic film it was. The Silence of the Lambs uh, came out on that day. Uh, it, very interesting that they released it on that day. Uh, we will get into that whole conversation next week. Uh, definitely excited for that one. That is uh, one of the all-time greats, in my opinion. little spoiler alert on how much I enjoy that movie. We'll see what the other two think. Uh, uh, once again, thank you for joining us. We hope we will see you next week. For Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time. <laughs>